Welcome to the Clappers. The man opposite me is not Andrew Young. And the one opposite me is, are you Carl Quinn? I'm not Carl Quinn. Then I guess I am. You know why? You can tell. You'll always be able to tell if you see either of us on the street. I'm not Carl Quinn because I don't have a perm. <laughs> I don't have a perm either. Oh, so does that mean I'm not Carl oh, Quinn? I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty permy up there. It's, it's damp, mate. It's what happens when you've got wavy slash curly uh, hair. Uh, I remember the perms. Don't uh, worry. Yeah. All right, behave. Okay. On this episode of The Clappers. Yes, we're going to talk about something that Carl has seen at the Motion Picture House. That's called Joker. Something that I've read called The Minotaur. Something I've watched on TV called uh, Unbelievable. Oh, yes. Unbe- that's unbelievable. No, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I don't believe it. It is true. And some other things in the world of jazz. Speak to me, Carl. Andrew, Joker. Yes. Have you heard much about it? Well, I have, and I'll tell you how. Because I keep my ear to the ground. You do. It's I very do, dangerous when you're crossing the road, I've <laughs> oh, got to say. Be yeah, careful but there. But somehow they're both, yeah. as you can see, yeah. pristine, beautiful, smooth ears. <laughs> Much younger ears than you would think of a man my age. <laughs> you have the youngest ears I've, I've met. Now, I have a copy of a book, a graphic novel from the early 90s called The Killing Joke yeah. by, I think, Brian Boland and Dave Gibbons. So, please... Correct me, listener of the Clappers. And it's great. Can I, I really just say, when you wade into comic book territory, yeah, right, yeah, and yep. you, you drop names mm. that you're not all that confident of, yep. you are absolutely inviting people to yeah. correct you. You know that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Though I am a, a, a delicate fellow and I do not have broad shoulders, I have thick skin, so <laughs> come forth. You're a veritable rhino. So, so I really like this I really like this graphic novel. Right. It, it's an amazing uh, Interpretation of the origins of All right, the, sum- the DC comic very book quickly. Summarize the Joker. The, the Joker is a patsy in a robbery gone wrong. He f- plunges into a, a, a vat of acid and it drives him mad. Mm-hmm. And he, he is bent on revenge. He uh, does his best to enact said revenge. There's some great um, great writing in this. It's a great line um, when the the final battle happens. And the, of course, the battle is really for us to interpret who is the more insane, the caped crusader or the the masked fool. So I'm thinking uh, that's the story that plays out in Dark Knight, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. In Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight, mm-hmm. if, if I remember correctly. Does that sound about right? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, although I'm wondering, I'm wondering about the, the vat of acid and whether Jack Nicholson's Joker, I think there's the vat of acid kind of scenario there too. I, I, yeah, it's I can't quite to, remember. It's really hard. They but, blur. I, but, but this is what happens in okay. the comic or anyway. the graphic novel. Anyway, this is a whole other space. Yep. Okay, so this is uh, – Not based on the killing joke? No. I thought, oh, I thought it was. No, no it's not. No, it's, it's, a, it's a completely different uh, world we're in here. And okay. Uh, Arthur Fleck Mm -hmm. is uh, played by Joaquin Phoenix and he is basically – he's a – he works in an agency where – it's a clowning agency. So Mm -hmm. people go out and do jobs. They're clowns for hire and we first meet him. He's on a street holding up a sign, you know, like a this way for your discount. And he he gets rolled by a bunch of youths. You've seen this in the trailer. If you've seen the trailer, you've seen – Oh, really? Okay, right. Um you, you will have seen this aspect of it. So he's basically he, – he's a put-upon guy, mm-hmm. right? He's kind yeah. of one of life's, you know – Could have been played by Elisha Cook Jr. He's one of life's marginalised characters. He could have been played by Joaquin Phoenix. So, mm-hmm. you know, he does this quite well, I've got he to does. say. And uh, he is living at home yep. with his mother. 
He's nice. in his mid-30s, thereabouts. This is going to appeal to a huge swathe of Australian men, isn't it? Well, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it, really striking echo of the Joaquin Phoenix film with Lynn Ramsey, You Were Never Really Here, in which he's a hitman who lives with his mother and has a very, you know, he's a loner, very tortured character, mentally disturbed. Mm. Arthur Fleck is deeply mentally disturbed. He ha- also has a condition where and he's got one of those little laminated cards that he hands out to people uh, to explain his condition, where he laughs uncontrollably mm-hmm. uh, at totally inappropriate moments. So it's like it's a nervous reaction. Mm. It's kind of sounds uh, great, kind already. of Tourette syndrome. Don't tell us too much. No, it sounds I I sounds won't. really good. That's why I haven't watched the trailer because I, I really felt I was going to want to watch this film. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll I'll let the the illogic of that slide, but never mind. Mm. Um, and he. He, uh, he aspires to be a stand-up comedian. Right? In his delusional yep. mind, he is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, as his mother says to him, uh, his mother's played by Francis Conroy, probably best known from Six Feet Under. Uh, his mother, when he says, I want to I do stand-up comedy, she says, don't you have to be funny to be a comedian? <laughs> it's kind of like she doesn't mean it as a put-down. I can hear her saying that she in that lovely soft voice. Yeah, she exactly. Has. She doesn't can, mean it as that. a put-down, but... Yeah. But it is. But it is. And it's also an accurate assessment (laughs) because he is really not very funny. Mm. Um, So there's this plot line where he wants to basically get onto the show of of this talk show host played by like a late night Johnny Carson Mm. kind of show. Uh, And the the host is played by Robert De Niro. Rupert Pupkin. Well, this is a thing, isn't it? It Mm. is absolutely a kind of – homage to, inversion of, sort of play upon the themes of King of Comedy, mm-hmm. um, in which, for those who don't remember or have never seen it, it's a Martin Scorsese film starring um, Robert De Niro and Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis is a talk show host. Uh, Robert De Niro is this aspiring comedian, not very funny, no. <laughs> act, mentally disturbed. <laughs> Lives with po- his mum. <laughs> played, played by Robert De Niro, yeah. I, I Actually, if, if I remember correctly, he also has a purple suit, right? The sort of maroon suit. Yeah, um, I, I can't. I can't I, quite. I, he wears a, a few suits typical of the era that. Would, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. King of Comedy was made in 1981, released in, I think, 83. Okay. Uh, this film is set. I don't think the age is, speci- is specified, but it's kind of about 1981. Mm-hmm. Todd Phillips, the director who co-wrote it, has said, uh, think of it as about 1981. Okay, right? well, so, that's good enough for me. That's good enough. For, should be good enough for all of us. Anyway, it is, it's, it's sort of like seedy New York. It's yes. New York before it got cleaned up. It's yep. it's New York sort of – well, it's not New York, it's Gotham City. But yeah, which we is all always, know Gotham City. Is, know, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, it's – I think it's pretty great. Yeah. So the, – the, the sort of trigger to everything is is um, to him becoming a master criminal. Yeah, is that he gets be- he gets given a gun, right, mm-hmm. and he ends up in a situation where he's being beaten up by three yuppies on a train, right, on a subway train, and he shoots them, right. Yeah, and this strange. and this triggers this kind of Patrick Bateman was he one of the yuppies? <laughs> <laughs> this triggers this kind of like mass popular response where people start wearing clown masks. Like right? that guy, what was his name? Uh, uh, I think it's uh, was it Gertz? Gertz Bernard yeah. Gertz. Yeah, yeah. Who, who did a the yeah, similar thing and they right. made those Charles Bronson yeah. films. Yeah. So there's this echo of that, right? There's also in the way it plays out, there's this echo of. Uh, what I think of as a fairly great film from the 1970s called Day of the Locust, 
with Donald Sutherland. Heard of playing, that. I've Donald Sutherland playing a character called Homer Simpson. Nice. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it, Day of the it's, it's, it's based on a uh, novel from the 1930s and it's basically about uh, Hollywood as a stream factory that sort of is in the business of selling an unattainable dream mm. to an impoverished population. Yep. Right? And the, it ends with this kind of crowd riot scene outside a uh-huh. Grauman's Chinese theatre at a movie premiere and okay. a character gets his head stomped on. It's like it's violent and it's shocking and it's okay. really quite right. – um, it's I, in I like your face. Donald Sutherland. Yeah. He was, that was when he had a perm in the 70s. <laughs> he had a moustache and you'd always see his bum. Donald Sutherland's career went through a few changes, but in the 70s he had a moustache, he had a perm, and it was in the contract every film – you had to see his bum. Sometimes he was in the kitchen just wearing a cardigan, making a cup of coffee, nothing on from the waist down. Bum. Bum. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll look forward to seeing Day of the Locust because <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen Donald Sutherland's bum. Well, you won't see it in Ad Astra. He is in Ad Astra. Oh, is he? Yes, yes. But, so, like I said, he's, no he's bum. gone through no phases. Bum. This is the no 21st century. Mm. He's moved on. Anyway, so back yeah. to Joker. Back to Joker. Back to Joker. Yeah. There are echoes of yeah. the All real world. Ones. There are yeah. echoes of uh, V for Vendetta. There's echoes, mm-hmm. a re- very, very, very strong echo of King of Comedy. I suppose you could say there's a kind of taxi driver element too. There's a bit of the Travis Bickle in this character, except that the Travis has a real political agenda, right, or mm. sort of socio-political agenda. Sociopathic. Uh, sociopathic, <laughs> yes, I guess so. Um, Arthur Fleck uh, eventually gets on this talk show. Yeah. He's introduced as Joker. He mm-hmm. appears in makeup. Yep. And and this is after all the the, pol- the uprising has happened and, mm-hmm. and Murray Franklin, the Robert De Niro character, says to him, so – you know, are you spearheading a political movement? And he says, I'm not political. I stand for nothing. And you could, and you could go, he stands for nothing, or you could go, he stands for nothing. Mm. And I actually mm. think that it's that sense mm. of nihilism. Mm. He represents this kind of nihilistic response to being excluded from the world yep. as a, re- it's a, re- a reaction to the – Incel. Well – it's a reaction to the 1%, right? Okay. Mm. Now, the whole incel thing, this is a criticism that's been, like, bandied about of this film already. Okay. And, uh, it's barely out. Not entirely without some justification, although I would say it's a – it's a somewhat simplistic response. I kind of see. I kind of see Joker in this as being. It's like it's a it's a, it's a character study, mm. but it's also a kind of social metaphor, you mm, know. And mm, it is. Mm, mm. It feels like a film that is very much born of the post Occupy moment, the post Trump, well, the Trumpian moment. It's kind of. It is really, really speaking to the culture yeah. at this moment in time, and I find it fascinating. Mm, Doesn't mean mm. it's not. Faultless. I mean, no. Well, but it's is, really is, very, yeah, very intriguing. And Joaquin Phoenix is such an amazing actor. I've got to say, he he's is, a fascinating. actor. He's incredible he really to watch. Yeah. yeah. So I would say, mm-hmm. don't watch the trailer. I never do. If I'm going to see a Go film, don't watch the film. I know. If I'm, if I know I'm going to see a film, and usually, uh, if, if say it's a film by people I don't know who's in it, don't know the, anything about it, I'll watch like the first second, two seconds ago. Yep. <laughs> Love it or nah, this is rubbish. So the pattern here is yeah. you only watch the trailer yeah. when you intend to review it negatively on the basis of the trailer? Yeah, more or less. For instance, <laughs> right, you, that, that I, I, I don't want to take up too much time talking about rubbish and nonsense because yeah, this no, no, this is a, this is a serious <laughs> podcast, a very serious I podcast. I turned on that crazy – I don't know why they didn't call it filthy, but they call it crazy rich Asians, oh, yeah. right? yeah. 
I lasted with the intention of, oh, look, I'm, I love Singapore. It's one of my favourite places. It's the Canberra of Southeast Asia. It's yeah. a great place. They're from Hong Kong. Did you know that Singapore noodles are unknown in Singapore? Are they? <laughs> yes. Really? They are unknown. You will not get Singapore unless you go into a, 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 a specific type of Chinese restaurant. They're from Hong Kong. Right. Uh, well, I looked that up. So, anyway, I love Singapore. I've only been there three or four times. It's not like I hang out in Singapore or anything like that, but I do love it. And I thought, I'm going to turn it because I'll see some buildings and some parts that I like. Turn it on. I last as long as it ta- takes a, a, a normally hungry person to eat a toasted sandwich. I barely got past the second scene of the film. It was so abysmal and terrible in whatever way you want to measure that it was. And so I, I know, man, I know. And I knew maybe I saw a bit of an ad on a bus or a billboard or, or maybe I saw something on tele. I don't know. But I knew I'm going to love this film. Or if not love, I'm going to really enjoy it. And so that's why I won't watch the trailer because I don't want to spoil it, you know. Okay. Well, go. I'm going to. Carl. Yes, I'm I'm going to talk about a book called The Minotaur by Peter Goldsworthy. Okay. And it's a new book. It's a paperback now available. It's a Australian novel. It's about a policeman who is really angry because he's blind. And he's been blinded in the line of duty and his eyes aren't damaged. Something happens in his brain Mm. from the shooting, being shot in the head, right? And so his eyes are all fine, but whatever messages need to be sent to make you be able to see from your brain, that's not happening, okay? And what really attracted me to this book was the fact that he's really angry. He's not one of these stoic heroes who bears his pain with courage and fortitude. He is really angry. He's so angry that… Uh, blind rage. Blind rage. Is that the name of the book? No, it's called The Minotaur. Right. It does resemble… Subtitle, The Bl- Blind Rage. It does resemble a book and at least two films called Rogue Mail, the book Rogue Mail by Jeffrey Household, which I don't think many people would have read, but it's not a, not a household name, is it? not a household name. It's a slender volume that you could probably... <laughs> Who names their kid Household? Well, I don't... I think... The they, parents. I think the parents were, were also called, called Household. household. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. that he... Okay. I don't, that, was be, that, be, that was a joke. That was a joke. I'll, I'll start using sorry. flashcards. Yeah, do, do, do. Do this. <laughs> When you're going to say I'll a do, joke. I'll do a little joker face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Rogue Mail is about a man who is a huntsman. He's a, he's a country gent and he is the type of guy who goes stalking deer. I, I just right? want to clarify yeah. for listeners, we are now in the footnotes section yeah, of the yeah, conversation. Okay. So, we will return to the main will. text so, in a moment. So essentially this man is drawing a bead on what you can take for an uh, unnamed dictator of Europe, Adolf Hitler. Right. He doesn't have anything in the chamber. It's a hunting rifle, so one shot. And he's nothing. He's just seeing if he could do it, you know. And he gets found by German soldiers. They imprison him. He escapes. And he realises that they're after him and they're not going to stop until they get him. So he builds himself a hide, like a, a lair in the English countryside, and he sits and he waits for his pursuer, um, Quinn Ross. And it's very suspenseful and exciting. And the two films, one with Robert Donat, is great. Uh, From 39, 39 Steps. Very similar style of British yeah. adventure type novel to, to John Buck and 39 Steps. And the other one is by, has Peter O'Toole in it, which 
is I think from hum- 39 drinks humorous because well Peter O'Toole was uh, in Goodbye Mr <laughs> Chips which right. Robert Donat was the original Mr Chips of anyway this book is similar because the man who shot uh, the Liberty the, Valance the blind no, yeah, yeah. shot the blind yeah. policeman yeah. his name's Rick uh, I think um, escapes from prison and he knows that this guy is going to come after him right so he sets up a trap in his house. Uh, for the just clarifying for the listeners, we're now back in the main body of the text. We're out of the footnotes. Carl, you, you, you discredit. <laughs> you discredit our listener. You really do. All right. Truthfully, I was clarifying for myself. <laughs> he, being blind, relies incredibly on Siri in a way that I didn't realise you could rely. Siri is the automated uh, voice in, in your phone if yes. you have an iPhone that, yeah. that will give you information about things. And I've turned mine off. But after reading this book, I thought I might have an experiment and, yeah. and turn Siri on and just ask for everything. And this is what this guy does. And he, he, he asks some rather personal questions of Siri that Siri's unable to answer. Can we just footnote here? Yeah. Okay. So uh, footnote number three, I yep. think this is. Um, when my, when my uh, younger daughter was about eight mm-hmm. and Siri sort of first surfaced on her, her horizon, she basically befriended Siri. She would right. just lie there on the couch yeah. for ages talking, talking, into, to, talking to my wife's phone going, hey, Siri, how are you today? <laughs> Right. It was like an imaginary friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really quite, quite strange. <laughs> All right, back to the main body of the text. I wouldn't say that they have a friendship as such, but mm. given that he's angry at everybody, he's so angry that his wife has left him because he punches her in the face and only eventually comes to admit that he did it on purpose rather than being blind and accidentally lashing right. out with his arms. Right. She's still in fairly his, good reason to leave him. She's still in his life somewhat, and and he he loves her. She loves him, but he's unbearable. Yeah. He's angry and he's violent. He's a cop. He drinks too much. Uh, he smokes. You know, he has a, he has a dog, a guide dog called Scout, who doesn't like it when he swears, which and always gets angry at him. And so he, he's trying to modify his behaviour somewhat. The people are trying to take the dog back for some reason, which has, there's some humour in that. And him setting up his house, automating his house so that he can be operated by Siri and by a blind man and setting a trap for the, his would-be killer is, is, is really stimulating and exciting. He has uh, a couple of different social uh, psychologists he has to go and talk to. One is his, one is the approved by the police union and he's struggling to get his compensation back. He's still on the payroll, so to speak. Uh, it's a Great. This is sounding pretty great. It's a procedural. It's great. I do have a couple of misgivings, and, and I feel a bit guilty about this because Thomas Keneally said that when you know, he's – Goldsworth is Australian, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. Australian. Yeah, now, yeah. Thomas Keneally is also Australian. He said <laughs> once that he, he felt uncomfortable with all the praise and all the plaudits that he receives as an author. As you know, he's, he's sold many books and has won many awards because he remembers as a little boy lying in bed having an asthma attack and there wasn't a single author in the world that could put air into his lungs, but a doctor could. Doctor right. could prescribe the medicine that would help. And now this is—he was an asthmatic long before those sprays. It was, yeah, 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 it was yeah. very difficult for asthmatics. And his brother's a doctor, Thomas Keneally. So him saying that is that well, my brother's the guy that yeah, you should yeah. praise. Now Peter Goldsworth is a doctor, right. and for a doctor, he writes a really good novel. It's not it, there. There are things about it that, like I say, I have misgivings. There is a climax, of course. There's a climax, and I wish the book ended at the climax. Right. Instead, it goes on for a chapter or two. Right. And there are what we call, what some people who, who enjoy the jargon of the business world call, it feels like there are learnings 
in this book <laughs> at the end. It it's definitely feels like an American motion picture that wants you to come out of the cinema having learned something and having modified the, the world so that you can now relate to it in a way where, where you can take your learnings and make life better for right. everybody. That's I don't like it. It's sentimental. It's cloying. And I don't think many people would be bothered by it. I think people would think it's a nice, neat, tied up in a bow kind of ending and people definitely want that in thrillers and and crime novels for sure i i don't you know and i tell you what there is some page 228 of the large format paperback you will get a, a punch to the solar plexus of metaphorically speaking a surprise i normally can see things coming i did not see this coming maybe Everyone can see it coming but me. But something happens on page 228 that I didn't see coming that I thought, well, that's great, that's unexpected, I like it. It makes everything really good in a way that's not cute and corny and sick. So I, I'd say I'd say read this book and at the end of the climax, if you're really happy with with everything, just stop. Don't, stop. don't feel stop you there. need to get to the end because it might just make you spew up. Right. <laughs> However, if you're like everybody else, read it to the end and feel warm and cosy. Have, have, a, have a little paper bag with you. Just I have case. to say, I, I don't like making that criticism because anybody who can be a doctor already deserves all of my respect. And then to become a novelist in your spare time, <laughs> uh, I think that's fantastic. And uh, it's, it's a book that I can definitely recommend to people who like the sound of this, this plot. I just wish you were more angry. Andrew, uh, a TV series mm-hmm. on Netflix that I really, really reckon is worth checking yep. out. Um, it's been around for a few weeks now, called Unbelievable. I mean, it's it's a funny thing in the era of uh, streaming that, like, you can talk about a show that's two, three, four weeks old and mm. it already feels ancient, you know. It's, exactly. It's kind yes. of odd. It's yes. kind of odd. I hear you. But there is so much that yes. you can't possibly see everything. In no. the instant it becomes the, the you know, the topic du jour. And they put them all out at once, don't they? They – well, not all. No, no. 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 Stan, no some, some Stan has more, Stan has better, more of a practice of releasing week by week. Uh, there's a series called Murder on the Bayou, which is on mm-hmm. Stan, which is a true crime series. I've mm-hmm. seen the first couple of that and it's really good. Yeah. Uh, I haven't caught up with the rest and I will. But they're, but they're dropping that week by week. Week by yeah. week. Anyway, back yeah. to Unbelievable. Yeah. So. It's a it's a true crime. Uh, it's a dramatization, yeah. but based on a true story mm-hmm. uh, that basically starts with the rape of a young woman in her apartment in two thousand and eight in Washington State, and um, that young woman is played by Caitlin Deaver, who people may have seen in Booksmart. If you're amongst the small number of people who took the opportunity to go and see what I think is one of the best comedies of the I year. I saw the trailer for that. Oh, my God, and decided yeah. not to go. No, 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 it looked good. It's just about the two girls who yeah. graduate and yeah, want yeah, to have, yeah. have a, a, a fun time yeah. that they haven't been denying right. themselves yes, all this time. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was Yeah, terrific. it looks yeah. funny. Yeah. It looks really funny. Anyway, so Caitlin Deaver from, from that movie is uh, – she's, she's supposed to be a young woman who, who is raped and uh, the police investigate and it's – the first episode is basically – her experience of being a victim of a rape and being in a situation where she has to tell that story 
over and over and over to different people, to to first the, the, the first attending cop, then to the detective, then to another detective, then to the the um, the health worker who needs who does the full examination over a matter of hours. And then this kind of continual sort of reliving the experience in a way that she's absolutely not I mean she's sort of okay with it in the first instance and becomes increasingly mm. less okay with it. Uh, and then uh, she's a fo- she's a girl who's been through she's a young woman who's been through foster care so she doesn't have an immediate sort of I was core support a su- network support person yeah. in these situations and she's in this sort of transitional student housing kind of yeah. space and she's there sort of conditionally because of her background she's got one of one of her foster mothers uh, basically says yeah oh, yeah something doesn't stack up and she shares this with the cops right. I'm not quite sure about her story. Something doesn't stack up. And she starts to talk about other incidents from her childhood mm. where, you know, she did things that she thought Why were Why are the police talking to one of her foster mothers? This foster mother woman. volunteers this information oh, okay. to the police. Right. And then the other fo- uh, another foster mother kind of sort of also kind of – she's a bit thrown by the way she's responded. Like mm-hmm. she's not clearly traumatised. She's She's got this – Sort of like, yeah, whatever, I just want to get on with it kind of mm-hmm. response. So that first episode is very much about what's the appropriate way for somebody to behave who's been, who's been through an experience of rape. Um, and uh, the, the sort of onus on belief, I guess. It's really like very interesting topic in this era, the post, well, not post, but the Me Too moment where there's that push to believe, believe every woman's claim, mm-hmm. right, which is... Uh, both comes from a good place but is, I think, quite problematic. But mm-hmm. then this kind of throws that whole belief-don't-believe kind of dynamic into stark relief because she's not believed eventually. She yep. is simply not believed. And it becomes such a, such a, uh, a pronounced disbelief that the, the police end up charging her with making a false report. Yep. So then – Does she have a lawyer – no, not uh-huh. not not in this not in this first. Well, she doesn't need a lawyer because she's a victim well, to start no, off with. Once she's charged by episode four or five, she okay. has a lawyer. Yeah, yes, right. Okay. Um, then there's parallel to this sort of from the second episode. There's a story of a series of rapes happening elsewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, a very different set of investigations uh, starts off with a female cop who sort of uh, played by Merritt Weaver, who some people will know from The Walking Dead. Um, I love Merritt Weaver. I think she's great. She's leading. She's very empathetic. Mm -hmm. She's very softly spoken. Mm -hmm. It's like you could not get a a more contrasting handling of the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, there's a second case that sort of crops up parallel and and Tony Collette plays the cop investigating that. She's much more hard-nosed but still empathetic. Yeah. And so – Somehow these cases start to weave together yeah. over, over the series. Well, they and, have merit. Hey, The but, argument has merit. Yes, yes. So does the show. Yeah. Yes. Very good. And That's your type of joke. It I is. any <laughs> laughter from that. Don't even do it. It's not even funny. It's I, just. I'm, I'm laughing. <laughs> it's coming from a place of envy. Yeah. I wish yeah. I'd seen that. Yeah. Weaving merit. It's, it's, it's gold. It's comedy gold. Anyway, it's yours. Thank you. <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> Take it to the office on Monday. Uh, sprinkle it around. I think this show is fantastic. Yeah. I think it's really, well, really it compelling. Sounds fantastic. 
not fantastic. It sounds what what about it that strikes me as being interesting is the three skeins of the same yarn weaving themselves together mm. because a straightforward story about a person who has a who was raped, a woman is raped, and nobody believes her. Unfortunately, that's you know not uncommon, and it's not something. Yeah, that but it's also not something that you see often dramatized. No, you don't, and you don't see it no, dramatized. It's not. It's not like, um, say, the Jodie Foster, the accused yeah. kind of scenario. This is. This is really about the police start off doing their job, yeah. right? They, okay. they, they don't. They don't come from a place of blame or whatever. No, no, no. But it's just when other people start to sow doubt. Yeah. Then they're very easily persuaded. They're very easily persuaded. That's yeah. right. And then, which is often what happens. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's and it's very very interesting because it does make you and, and, and you know I know it's I know it's risky to sort of say to wade to into that territory. No, no, no. For me to wade yeah. into that territory of questioning the believe every woman uh, proposition of, mm-hmm. of the Me Too movement, but I do think that's kind of like you know there's got to be process and all the rest of it but of the process has to be a hell of a lot more empathetic yeah. than it sometimes is well i don't i don't have any uh issue with that blank statement uh, believe the woman if a woman says that she's been raped or assaulted or whatever that's the place where i begin and that's that i don't have a well i think you should start yeah. from a place of belief absolutely um, and, and I, I always I've, I've spoken to you about this before and i've, I've spoken to almost everybody i know if this topic ever comes up i don't I am a little concerned, reluctant to see stories of women being raped and murdered as entertainment. Mm. And the commercial networks before the streaming had a lot of police shows that would start with a woman's body in a pool of blood. And yeah. and as as a as a trope, I find that not entertaining at all, and not a not a, a place to necessarily start a night of entertainment. So I'm a little reluctant to say, oh, here's a show where three different women are raped and the stories, blah, 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 as as being something entertaining. Uh, it's not it's not in that CSI mm. kind of you know well, SVU. It's, good that say it's that. not in that you SVU that kind of territory, right? It's not people's experience. I think it's not at all salacious. Yep. I think that the incidents themselves are handled in a. A sort of a very um, fragmented way. Yeah. There's no dwelling on the, you know, it. I think they try to capture um, the victim's perspective on these things. Yeah. And part of part of that is that they're blindfolded, so they don't actually have a lot of visual kind of memory. They have yes. fragments. They yeah. they only have fragments. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's about uh, a perpetrator who is very aware of procedure. Yeah, and um, is able to manipulate um, the gaps in, say, uh, sharing of knowledge between police departments in neighbouring um, municipalities and so yeah. on. So the suspicion becomes: is this actually somebody who works in law enforcement? So that sort of gradually becomes a, a, a sort of a through line in it. I'm not finished the series yet. I mean, I'm five, I think, of the eight episodes in, and it's it's just really compelling mm. stuff. I think, and it is. It does sort of make you. Really conscious, I think, of the experience of the victim. Yeah, in, which in this is scenario. Obviously, men don't have that experience. That's and, right. And a show is like this could provide some educational uh, aspect to people who might not come across situations like this often, and a, a way of viewing it that they may not have already mm. thought uh, about. Well, the, the one the one point I make is that 
when I talk about it giving you a sense of the perspective of the victim, mm. it's not just in the moment of the act. That's that's no, the thing I, I mean. Was, it's I like it's like the, the lingering the whole, impact the and the damage that it does mm. to people's lives. And I, you know, I, I've you know, I read I read the book, um, the Krakow book, um, Masula, about uh, a series of rapes on a U.S. campus, and it's uh-huh. you know. It's, sort of delves into some of this territory as well and also the sort of procedural failings around yeah, around yeah. investigations and so on. Um, but it's it's just – I guess when you see it dramatised, your your capacity to empathise mm-hmm. uh, is heightened, I think. Okay. And, um, you know, it's it's very, very strong stuff. Um, yeah, I, I am very impressed by it. And okay. I, I would urge anyone who's got the stomach for it. Yeah. To and oh, it probably is triggering content for well, people who've yeah, had, had something like this in their lives. Of course it is, and I'm sure that it's obvious what the show is about. The mm-hmm. moment you click on that panel that has unbelievable, it will have a pricey to tell you what it's about, mm-hmm. which is you know enough to know if it's for you or if it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody needs this. It's been a while since we've sat at this table. I think maybe two weeks. Uh, so Monday, a couple of Mondays past, I, I went to an awards night. No way. Yeah, I don't. Congratulations. Out of many thanks. Uh, what did you get? It's the second one. I, I, I got. I don't. I'm just going to say this in as as neutral a way as possible. <laughs> I got. You are the best. I shared in a couple of bottles of wine. Right. With with one or two other people sitting at the table, and I ordered the wine. It was very good wine. And I had a trio of dips and some kind of flatbread. So I, I'm gathering from this that, then I, that you weren't the recipient of an award. A plate of gnocchi. <laughs> I said no to the, in inverted commas, Atlantic salmon. And uh, some form of, of liqueurie dessert. So that's what I got on the right. night. Right. These were the Australian uh, jazz Bell Awards, named after Graham Bell, the jazz man, and it was it was it was a really good night. Not unlike the Age Music Victoria Awards, because there were performances. Right, they had a great uh, trio on stage, and then the winner would come of, of particular awards would come and play a piece with them, and it was great. The the of how many awards the quality, are there? Sorry, how many awards? Oh, it was quite a few. There was. It must have been a the, long night if everybody's was, getting actually, up. Actually, it was. It wasn't that long. It was. I reckon it was done by maybe ten, nine thirty, ten. Right. It was like three, it's three and a half. Started hours. eight thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were winners. People like Sandy Evans from Sydney. She's a, a saxophone player who has put a band together and been keeping that band together for decades now. Called Ten Part Invention. She won the Lifetime Award, the Hall of Fame Award. And she's in Sydney. Yeah, um, she wasn't down to receive it, and I think it was, I think it was Barney McCall, the pianist, who accepted it on her behalf and pointed out she's only the second woman in the history of these awards to receive one. Judy Bailey, who also runs a big band, has just put an album out recently. It's very good. She is the other woman, uh, and all the other recipients. Andrew Keller uh, won the. I think it might have been group, best group award. But what was interesting is that, well, you tell me, it it may not be interesting, but of course in a country as diverse as Australia, culturally and ethnically a country that has been that way for quite a long time, almost all the winners were men. 
except for one, two, and all of them except for one were Anglo-Saxon right. men. Niran Daska, the trumpet player, not an Anglo-Saxon man, won the best young uh, jazz man, jazz player award. He's very good. Very good. People should watch out for him. He lives all over the world. Uh, he's he also won the Apra Amcos Foundation grant this week as well. So he uh, he will be not often in Melbourne, but when he is, you should watch out for him. He's a, has an amazing suppression in his playing, and uh, uh, his his ideas flow beautifully. Really great young musician to watch out for. But it was great to be at the night. It was great to hear the music. You know, it's something that you might forget at some award nights that there's actually an, an art and a skill involved in the receiving of the award. And to have it on display uh, is wonderful. And uh, I hope next year the, uh, there'll be a bit more of a mixture of jazz uh, men and jazz women and people of different ethnicities accepting the awards mm. uh yeah but that's that's the way of all media and arts it's gradually changing and people are hoping that it will continue to change and evolve even further i went to a uh, a music kind I went of to a, a music kind of kind of a, no, I was going to a music <laughs> let's try that again Jeez, I, went to a, <laughs> I was gonna say i went to a music Kind of, or you know, awards recognition night. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm stretching the metaphor here, yeah, really. Sure. I saw Evans' 25th anniversary oh, that, show. That's exactly what that is, isn't it? That's yeah. a real uh, a recognition of achievement. 25 yeah. years of on and off performing and recording. Yep. And yep. James Young, who was at one point their manager, which I hadn't realised. James Young, I who's didn't know that. best known as you know for the Cherry Bar and Triple yes. R and blah, blah, yes. Man About Rock and Roll Town. Yes, and indeed. Uh, he briefly came on stage uh, at the end of the set before Only they came briefly. back. Uh, he, yeah, he does, yes. He, he does love the microphone. He did realise that people weren't there to hear him. <laughs> they were there to hear the band. So even got to play a couple of songs, did they? But, uh, they did. But he, he described them as uh, being basically uh, the Beatles smeared in Vegemite. Mm, and I think mm. that's, that's a I saw pretty his apt description. on that. Yeah. 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 And they... But it's a particular moment in the Beatles' trajectory. Yeah. I think it's probably about 1965, 66. Mm-hmm. It's about that sort of revolver, rubber soul, rubber re- soul. Re- yeah. Re- yeah, revolver kind of moment. And it is, I think it's a, it's a magnificent sound that they mm. create. And Ash Naylor, the guitarist and singer, is uh, he's a seriously talented cat, I think. People will know him from Rock the Grand Final. <laughs> well... <laughs> I am I am appalled to say yeah. that that I uh, I was I was so keen to see I mean I'd written about who was playing at the grand final I was really okay. keen to see how the pre game entertainment and I and I'll, I'll get to that my my um, one of my children turned mm-hmm. on the TV at home we had a we had a grand final barbecue they turned on the TV and they put it on the wrong channel <sighs> they had it on the Foxtel chat fest instead of on channel oh, seven so I didn't so actually didn't, see it didn't see, you, didn't see it. you didn't I'm see it I'm outside the setting up the barbecue no, pre game yeah, t- so, yeah tossing some prawns. You know, yes. some tigs, some should. tigs on the Barbie. You should. And, <laughs> and I go, when's, when's this music starting? <laughs> and somebody says, oh, it's finished. Go, what? <laughs> Outrage. Outrage. Well, it was, uh, it was a guy singing the national anthem, yeah. I don't know, probably from one of the uh, Talent Quest shows. <laughs> Not well at all. Not well. <laughs> and it was this artist called Tones and I, who I'd never heard of, singing two songs that I'd never heard of, but the kids liked Anyway. Well, I actually saw Tones and I the week before. I went oh, to see her at okay. the Richmond, uh, the Richmond at the corner in at Richmond, the corner. and okay. um, it's just her and a, and a, a, a kid, like 
program keyboard. Yep. And, uh, you know, she does what she does pretty well, I reckon. Sure. And uh, I saw a lot of hate for her on social media. Oh, look, I'm not. And I, I think I'm, it was I'm, a little I'm excessive. I'm in no position. A man of my age, yeah. my skills, abilities of my prejudices. I have no business making any kind of criticism of a, a young girl doing that type of thing. That's not my type of thing. It never was, never mm. will be. It's just not my ocean to swim in. And She's got a great know. story, right? Great story. She's like from Frankston. Mm-hmm. She was. She gave up a retail job and moved to Byron to try busking for a living. It was like instantly a success for her. She sold, I don't know what the, what the story was, she sold 40, 40 CDs on her first day at 10 bucks mm-hmm. a pop or whatever. I can't remember the details. But anyway, she was like, bang. She's like, she's mm. making making it happen. Yep. Uh, she did that for a while. She uploaded a song to Triple J's Unearthed in February. It went off, bang. Yeah. She's suddenly signed by Sony and, you know, she puts out the single Dance Monkey in July. It's been number one in the country for nine weeks. And, you know, that's uh, that's, that's now great. a record for uh, yeah. the longest an, uh, an Australian artist has had the number one slot. Yeah, right? that's- Great um, stuff. Yeah, it was solo yeah. artists. And so, you know, it's all it's it's a great story. Yeah. And you know, it's catchy, it's catchy pop. It's I've got I've got absolutely no problem with it. And I think actually she's she's pretty good at what she does. Sure. And sure. like I say, I've got nothing to say on I this. reckon, like when I saw her at the corner yeah. with about six hundred people, yeah. that's not gonna happen. Again, yeah, right. Yeah. She'll be playing stadiums. She'll be, she'll be playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. She'll be playing big, big arenas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she'll probably be based in the states before you know it, because exactly. that's where the market for her kind of music really is. So, so that's good luck not, to her. Okay. So, so, but you're not talking about that. No, I was talking about even. Talking about even. Yeah, of course. yeah. But and you Ashton Naylor, who and played with Paul Kelly, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And James Young, of course, was part of Even. He was standing on the stage making his remarks. Was it at just, the grand final? No. Okay. <laughs> That is something that, well, maybe I will have to see James <laughs> you Young might, standing you might, yeah. in front of the halftime entertainment speaking. <laughs> anyway, yes. for anybody who does like Even and likes mm-hmm. the sound of Even, um, they're playing at the Forum on November 3. So there is a chance to see them in a much Good bigger venue. Good place to see them. Yeah, Good, much think, better place to see them. Oh, look, it depends what you – I mean, it's, it's nice I've never to been be, to Howler I've before. It's them, quite, a, I've quite seen, a good venue. I I've like seen it. them in – oh, no, it is. It is. I'm just thinking, you know, some people like a bit of space around them and you get mm. a bit of space at the Forum, whereas the places I've seen them have been very tight yeah, yeah. and sweaty. But then sometimes that's exactly how you want to see a band, yeah. you know, really tight, sweaty environment. Uh, uh, just a little aside, yeah. if, you, if you like – even, but you don't like <laughs> crowded, sweaty venues. Yeah. You could go and see Ride Like a Girl because in one scene, fairly yeah. early on, a wedding scene, yeah. there's a there's a wedding band. Yeah, it's Even. Okay, there you go. And I only, I only know that because I was on set the day they were right. filming that scene. And so I, people I got chatting to Ash. I went, "Are you? Are you?" He was over at the over at the catering table. Are you Ash Naylor from Even? He went, mm. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Oh, we're playing. Well, anyway. There you go. That's great. Mm. Just to, just to finish up, uh, just to finish up there, if you're in Melbourne, uh, every Wednesday in the month of October, Julian Wilson's group is playing at Bar 303. Uh, that starts around 8.30, goes probably to 11. I think I think they've got a, a legal requirement to finish the music by 11. I think there's also a support act. You should definitely go and check that out. There'll be a new Julian Wilson album out soon, but uh, there's plenty of material for you to get your head around through the Bandcamp system. If you know about the Bandcamp system, just go to Bandcamp, check it out, look it up. And that's happening. Of course, Wednesday night is jazz night in Melbourne, so there are plenty of great gigs to see. I've seen a few of them, saw... uh, 
the other night went and saw Bob Stritch at the Uptown Jazz Cafe. Hardly anybody there, 15 people, but they were enjoying themselves in the noisiest fashion. It was wonderful. Sometimes that place is a little reverential for my tastes. And there were some very noisy women ordering (laughs) bottle after bottle of red wine, spilling it everywhere, laughing, having the greatest time. And every time, they're not necessarily the type of people you would necessarily see in a jazz club. And it was great. And every time that one of the musicians, the sax player Phil and I would say, on drums, uh, Danny Fisher. And they'd be, Danny! (laughs) (laughs) And then he'd say, you know, Ben Hamlin, double bass, Ben! Ready! (laughs) It was really good. I feel like I'm there. (laughs) And and I went down the road to see the rookies who were down the road always at the Rooks on Wednesdays. A completely different environment, completely packed out like schoolies full of the youth of Melbourne, all just... To watch live jazz? Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah. To watch this group play, they're a, the rookies do a very interesting style of post-bop and it's it's it, they play with time really well in, and, and it, it, it elasticizes and then compresses. So and this, this young schoolies audience yeah. is there to see them they are or there. they're there by chance? No, they've been there for five years. Yeah, this right. is, it was the fifth anniversary of this group of reasonably young-ish. Yeah. They're in their late or third, say late 20s, early 30s, these yeah. guys. And that place packs out. Yeah, right. And, you know, criticism of the Uptown Jazz Cafe, they have no air conditioning, no windows are open because of noise. So I find my response to no oxygen is that I start to pass out. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> You can barely breathe. And so at the at the Rooks, it's packed full of people. You can always breathe. And then sometimes you go and stand on the footpath with the smokers and you can still see through the windows. So it is completely packed. And they do two sets there every Wednesday and have been doing it for the last five years and will be doing it for, you know, eternity, you know. Uh, so that's always on in Melbourne. Wednesday night is a great night to go and see jazz. And you can see it with some rowdy women drinking wine, not a lot of space, not a lot of not a lot of humans in there, but no air, but still great music. Or you can go down and see the rookies where it's completely packed, and you'll have to squeeze and push to get to the bar, and forget about the toilets, go somewhere else. Uh, and it's great; it's just a great night. And uh, now there's another one at the uh, 303 in Northcote, Julian Wilson. So these are some great things that you can check out. These are all residencies that have been happening. Well, the Julian Wilson one's new, but Bob Stretch's been doing it for nine years, I think. You nice. know? And the people will come, and they will be noisy. And they will drink and they will have fun. Well, we hope that's what you've been doing while listening to the clappers. Yes, we have. <laughs> now you can go to our. Fa- oh, we didn't talk about Noel Button. What? Noel Button. Okay, I'm going to have to talk about it next time. Okay, it's okay. This will keep. This will keep. This will, <laughs> so the show's over. So this just have to keep Noel Button. I think this is what they call foreshadowing. Yes, I've heard of this foreshadowing in. <laughs> Creative writing class, foreshadowing. All right. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. That's what reminded me. Go yeah. and check out what's on the Facebook page, all right? Then you'll know what I'm going to talk to you about next time, not this time, which I was supposed to, okay? And can I just say, yeah. if, if you do, dear listeners, yes. you're one step ahead of me. I never know what he's <laughs> going to be talking about. Never. Okay. If it sounds like we're making it up, that's because we're making it up. This week on The Clappers. Didn't we do that? Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. Forget it. Forget <laughs> it.